And welcome to Talk to Talk. I am Buzz Eisenberg. Bill Newman is traveling today. He'll be with us on Wednesday once again. We can't wait for that. Um, I was I gave a lot of thought over the weekend about how to introduce our first Monday segment. As you know, um, that is uh, we we are blessed every month with First Monday. First Monday is uh, what we call the first day of the United States Supreme Court session every year. Um, it also is what we call our segment with uh, Western New England constitutional scholar and Professor Emeritus Bruce Miller, who talks to us about things that are really important and tries to uh, illuminate um, what's happening at, quite often, the Supreme Court and other legal issues that are confronting us. Right now, immigration, as usual, <laughs> is not far from the front page, but it's been sort of occupying the front page right now. What we've been uh, looking at a lot is the fact that the Senate um, was crafting with the White House's uh, impetus a bipartisan immigration bill. The Speaker of the House, Johnson, has said that it is dead on arrival, and we all know it's dead on arrival because uh, candidate Donald Trump does not want Joe Biden to get any credit for having resolved an important issue um, by uh, what many Democrats are disappointed about anyway because it is a bill, a proposal that while it uh, dampens the ability of some people to uh, present their asylum petition, it doesn't have any provisions for uh, giving citizenship to dreamers, those people who came in as small child to this country after having been born in another country that um, have been here their entire lives and don't know of the other country or the other language, and they want to be American because they've been living as members of the United States community for so long. There's other problems with that, but I just wanted to point out right now, this is a very appropriate conversation we're about to have with Professor Miller because I am currently representing someone. I'll give you a very brief synopsis. He is a Russian who fled Russia rather than being drafted to fight in Ukraine. He had been arrested in, on the streets of Russia protesting along with his wife. Um, uh, he was told by police that if he gets arrested again for protesting the war in Ukraine, that he will be going to jail for a very long time. Then the draft came out. He fled Russia rather than fight a war that he doesn't believe in, to either kill someone he doesn't want to or be killed himself. He came to the United States. He filled out all the legally required paperwork. He came in through a port of entry, just as you're supposed to do, rather than coming unlawfully across the border. He did it all right. Uh, we, of course, kept him in Mexico under Title 42 for two months until he expended all of his savings, but nevertheless, he did it right. His wife was able to come to this region um, where I and my law partner are uh, representing her, but we're also representing him on a hearing that's upcoming. Now, here's the rub. The rub is the governor of Texas has, in essence, declared war on the federal authorities, the Customs and Border Patrol. The last part of my little tutorial, there are three entities in the immigration scheme under the Department of Homeland Security and, and the Justice Department, which prosecutes these immigration cases. That is Customs and Border Patrol. We, uh, we have ICE, which is the sort of enforcement immigration, sort of the police 
of the immigration system, and then USCIS, which is Customs and Immigration Service, which determines whether or not somebody's properly filling out the forms and doing what they're supposed to. Well, it is an enormous problem that we're facing looking at Texas, and I just scratch my head like, oh my goodness, have we ever seen anything like this before where a local governor is not allowing Customs and Border Patrol to enforce, to do its job. And Bruce Miller, what is going on? Boy, I wish I had a complete handle on what is going on. I, I do have a sense of at least some of what is going on, and it starts really, Buzz, where you left off. Uh, there's a small town in Texas called Eagle Pass that is right on uh, the Rio Grande River. Um, many uh, asylum seekers who would like to do it the right way that is, present themselves at ports of entry, are unable to present themselves at ports of entry because the computer app that you have to access in order to fill out the paperwork keeps breaking down, and the border keeps closing and opening, and they can't get across to present themselves. So, ironically, they are sneaking in across the Rio Grande um, at Eagle Pass into a park, a public park called Shelby Park that abuts the river. And they immediately, as soon as they cross, present themselves to Border Patrol officers. The Border Patrol uh, has stationed people in this park in order to apprehend people and begin the processing uh, of their asylum claims. Governor Abbott has decided to interfere with that process in two ways. First, he has mobilized the Texas National Guard to keep the Border Patrol from uh, processing people in Shelby Park. Border Patrol people are not allowed access, federal officers not allowed access to an area abutting the border uh, because it's in Eagle Pass and Governor Abbott says he controls who's there. So just, just pause for a minute. I think listeners know that is the jurisdiction of Custom and Border P Patrol. That is their job is to... It is, and, and, and our Constitution gives to the federal government an enumerated power to regulate all matters concerning immigration and naturalization listed in the Constitution. Yep. And that is a federal power. Uh, states cannot interfere constitutionally with the exercise of that power. They don't necessarily have to cooperate with it. We have sanctuary cities, uh, but they cannot uh, impede the exercise of federal control over immigration. Um, so step one by Abbott is to directly interfere. Step two is that he has taken it upon himself to lay uh, barbed wire across the middle of the Rio Grande in the area abutting the park to pe keep people from uh, crossing. Um, that is working to some degree because, to keep people out because fewer people have been crossing. And, of course, three people have been killed uh, trying uh, to cross since that the barbed – That we know of. Since the barbed wire has, has been put there. He is also designating uh, uh, national, Texas National Guard people uh, to arrest those who do emerge uh, into Shelby Park. They can no longer present themselves, surrender to federal officers. Instead, they're subjected to arrest by Texas police. 
and then they're charged with the crime of, of trespass. I just want to back up a little bit. Nobody explains things better than you as an educator, Professor Miller, but I just want to make sure that listeners understand. It, it is an overwhelmingly complicated body of law if you really break it into all its little micro things. But here's really the overview. The overview is somebody feels that they are being oppressed in the country, uniquely oppressed. Our law says, well, it's not just that the whole country is offensive to everybody. It's got to be that you particularly, prospective immigrant, have a credible fear that if you stay where you are, you're going to face imminent death or horrific torture or something that international law recognizes unlawful. You want to come to the United States and file a petition asking for asylum, saying, based on that credible fear, you should be allowed in. If that credible fear is found to be a credible fear, that means the standard is going to be that a reasonable judge looking at your claims could find that it's a credible fear, will then let you in under, and will give you what's called a notice to appear in court in a removal proceeding, and you'll then have the opportunity to argue your asylum, which you file a petition for. Congress is right now talking about abbreviating, the Senate is, not the House, dead on arrival, as we said earlier, abbreviating and limiting somewhat these asylum petitions. But nevertheless, we're talking, Professor Bruce Miller, about people who legally want to have their case heard by a judge. Well, what's the most important thing about this, I think, Buzz, uh, the way, as you describe it completely accurately, uh, and you know it a lot better than I do, um, is that all of this is authorized by Congress. This is what our federal statutes say. And this is Congress exercising its constitutional power that is given to Congress by our uh, uh, Article One of our Constitution. And to these federal entities like Customs and Border Patrol. Let me ask you this, Professor yeah. Miller. You are a, we've had so many conversations over so many years. You are an adherent of this notion of a rule of law. Texas Governor Greg Abbott was himself the Attorney General of Texas and a Texas Supreme Court judge. He was. Isn't he just openly defying well, the rule well, of well, law? Well, here's, here's, here is to me the strangest thing about this, about this whole undertaking by Abbott. Governor Abbott claims that he has constitutional authority to lay the barbed wire and to keep the Border Patrol out of Shelby Park and other areas under a clause of the Constitution at the very end of Article 1, Article 1, Section 10, Paragraph 3. And what this clause of the Constitution says... Article 1 deals with the legislature. It deals with Congress, but it also at the end has some prohibitions on what states uh, may do. And this one says, no state shall, without the consent of Congress, keep troops in times of peace or engage in war unless actually invaded or in such imminent danger as will not admit of delay. Governor Abbott claims that Texas is being invaded, and for that reason, he has war power. Does he claim that Congress has given him that power? He does not. He claims this directly under the Constitution, which is the supreme law of the land, and he says for that reason, he has the power to nullify all acts of Congress. 
that interfere with his ability to wage war on the asylum uh, uh, applicants who present themselves at the Texas border because they are, quote, invading Texas. Am I right, uh, Professor Miller, in being at a minimum unnerved, actually frightened that a governor of any of our states would say, I am going to do what the federal government has historically done um, because I feel like we're being threatened by fill in the blank. Well, sure. Uh, of, cor- of course you ought to be alarmed by that. And it's, it's worse than that. It's not I'm going to do what the federal government is, has always done. It's I am going to do it differently and in opposition to how they do it, and I am going to keep them from doing it. Abbott sued. He filed a lawsuit advancing this theory, this invasion theory, uh, in order to get an injunction against the Biden administration. Uh, The injunction would have kept Border Patrol staff out of the park. Um, And astoundingly, in my eyes, a panel of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit granted that injunction. So you and I and Dan, and then maybe everybody else might think this argument is crazy. Whatever you might think, this is not an invasion. People are presenting themselves peaceably, surrendering immediately, view themselves as subject to United States law, and Abbott's calling it an invasion. But a panel of the Fifth Circuit said, injunction granted. Briefly, what are the circuit courts of appeal? uh, The circuit courts of appeal are the federal appellate courts that stand between the federal trial courts and the Supreme Court. They are the first level of appeal uh, in a federal case. And the Fifth Circuit has become notorious. It is Trump's playground. Um, I think that's it's fair to say. Um, So the Biden administration, not surprisingly, sought immediate review on the infamous shadow docket in the Supreme Court. Seeking to vacate. This is the part of the Supreme Court's decision-making process in which they take cases before they're over, before final decisions have been issued, um, and and resolve matters, usually without opinion, um, that can be very important. Contrary to uh, two and a half centuries of Well, we're using it a lot more today. It's always been there, but ne- never to this extent. But of course, uh, Bi- I don't think the Biden administration had any choice but to seek review, um, immediate review. And what, what is the procedural posture of that Procedural review? process of that review is that is that the Supreme Court vacated, reversed the injunction granted by the Fifth Circuit. Thank goodness. Uh, and not surprisingly, but that, here's the most worrisome part of the whole thing. It was five to four. Aye, aye, aye. And nobody wrote anything, neither the five nor the four. Well, and this the f- is a good place for us to take a break. When we come back, we're going to find out more of the story from Bruce Miller. It is First Monday, and once again, we're troubled by what we're talking about. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We are continuing our conversation with constitutional scholar uh, Bruce Miller, and we are talking about Governor Abbott's uh, first, his just blatant attempt to do that which the Constitution 
clearly says it is up to the federal government to do. Um, he brought a lawsuit. The Fifth Circuit astonished so many of us. Our jaws dropped to our chest as this panel from the Fifth Circuit said, oh, yeah, anytime a governor wants to uh, argue that he's, uh, he's sub- he, he feels that there's an invasion happening, in this case by immigrants, that he could just thumb his nose at federal uh, authorities that, that the Constitution grants and Congress grants jurisdiction uh, over that particular area. And the United States Supreme Court, we just heard from Professor Miller, uh, entertained the appeal by the Biden administration of that Fifth Circuit ruling, and five to four said, "No, you can't." No, it didn't say that. It said, "We." Well, what did it say, Professor? Well, what what the Supreme Court, all the Supreme Court did, is reverse or overrule the injunction that the Fifth Circuit had granted to Abbott. So the Biden administration won, but they won in a form that says Abbott doesn't get to stop them. But there was no order issued to Abbott. An order issued to Biden was reversed. So Abbott says, well, okay, the Supreme Court says I I, I can't get a court order to keep you out, but that's not going to stop me. Nobody is telling me that I can't keep you out. I'm not violating the Supreme Court's decision by keeping that concertina wire there and by telling Border Patrol staff to take a hike, um, come and take the park if you think you can. That's the position that the Abbott, uh, 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 Governor Abbott has taken since the Supreme Court decided. For those of us who are concerned that headline after headline, we think that society and our governance, our polity is in reverse, is going back and retreading things which we already thought were institutionally resolved and, and things we felt comfortable about. Is there anything in your memory or in our history uh, that resembles a governor just saying to the, to the courts, to the federal government, we're not going to follow the law? Well, you bet. Um, uh, in, in our lifetimes, Buzz, we, we saw this happen uh, in, in 1957, uh, when there was a Supreme Court decision directing that the public schools in Little Rock, Arkansas, be desegregated. And Governor Orville Faubus uh, uh, famously and defiantly said, not on my watch, will that happen, Supreme Court or not? And again in 1963, when uh, Governor George Wallace of Alabama proclaimed segregation tomorrow, segregation now, segregation forever, in order to try to prevent the University of Alabama from desegregating. In each of those instances, uh, President Eisenhower first and Kennedy second, federalized the state National Guard of those two states, Arkansas and Alabama, in order to enforce the requirements of federal law. Um, and uh, the Biden administration, I'm sure, is weighing whether or not to do that. Does that now. require congressional approval? Well, that one of the one of the really n- difficult, knotty things about this is that is that if you if you uh, scratch experts on uh, the federal state relations concerning the National Guard and when the National Guard can be federalized what you will very quickly find is a lot of controversy over exactly how that works and is supposed to work. 
the most direct way to do it is also the most politically fraught. And that is for the president to declare that Texas is engaging in an insurrection. And if, if, if an insurrection is declared by the president, then the Insurrection Act kicks in. And of course, the National Guard can be federalized. But is that something that Biden wants to do, given that Trump has said that the first thing he's going to do if he's reelected is declare some kind of a national insurrection? Anytime uh, the Insurrection Act is, in, is invoked, um, we have the specter of the use of federal military authority domestically. And that's very scary. My guess is that Biden, both politically and legally, does not want to do that. There are other ways um, that the National Guard, which is organized under state law, but recognized in the Constitution, it is the successor of the original militias. There are other ways that presidents have authority from Congress to federalize the National Guard. All of them are controversial. There's the possibility of declaring a national emergency. People differ on whether Congress has to have declared that. It is, it is legally uh, difficult to do this. But short of that, what we have is a standoff between the Border Patrol, which is not a military force, and the Texas National Guard, which is. And uh, there is si simply, it's, it's, it's unthinkable to imagine an armed confrontation between those two. Um, I think Biden also has to wonder if he does federalize the Texas National Guard, who after all are currently the people who are keeping the Border Patrol out of the park, who will the Border Patrol obey? Will they obey Governor Abbott or will they obey the Commander-in-Chief, the President of the United States? Um, it, 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 it's a very difficult situation for the, for the Biden administration. I'd like to cut back to the Supreme Court for just a second, if Please we can. Do. And that is we had four votes um, for this outlandish proposition that we're being invaded by peaceful migrants. Um, and the four votes are Justices Thomas, uh, Alito, Gorsuch, and Kavanaugh. I'm shocked. Justice Barrett and Chief Justice Roberts joined the three liberal members to produce the five votes. What is becoming clearer on that court than ever before is that their decisions, at least in this area, are nakedly partisan. When President Trump sought to ban immigration uh, from Muslim countries early in his administration, by a five to four vote, the Supreme Court said that that was uh, permissible because of exclusive federal control over immigration. And that exclusive federal control over immigration included the power to discriminate on the basis of religion. Um, and so this federal supremacy, and we, we've seen it with the, with the various efforts to deal with the dreamers, if, uh, if it's a democratic president seeking to expand the rights of dreamers, very likely to be shut down in the Supreme Court. If it's a Republican president... Uh, trying to restrict them, very, very likely to be sustained. So we don't have anything that even pretends to be a neutral principle with respect to executive power in this area. It all depends on who's the president. You know, quite often when, when we talk about you know, the, the basis of law, people's eyes sort of glaze over. But this, 
this is not just about love. This is about blatant hypocrisy. This is you say what you want to support what you want. You're not interpreting the law. This is not jurisprudential. If you were, hey, I taught civil liberties at a community college level. You were a law school professor teaching constitutional law as a scholar. If a student were to say what those four said in answer to a test question, what grade would you have given them? Uh, well, well, now, now you're getting into my grading philosophy, Buzz, <laughs> and that's that's dan- dangerous territory of a different sort. I was always one who insisted on the ability to make arguments both ways because everybody has to understand what the opposing position is. Dan, you want right and wrong, don't you? Well, so here's my question. That land in Texas that the the Abbott and his National Guard is uh, controlling – is that on the border with Mexico, and is that why the federal government has jurisdiction over it? I mean, who? I mean, if it's if it's land that crosses both the United States and Mexico, the federal government would normally have control of that, right? Is that what's happening? Well, here? the fe- the federal government has the power to enforce immigration law in the United States. Yes. But the land on which that immigration law is enforced is almost never, except at ports of entry, very Mm -hmm. small areas, owned by the federal government. Got it. It's often owned by private Private uh, property owners or 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 in the case of Shelby Park and Eagle Pass, it's it's owned by the state of Texas. Owned by it's owned by the city of of Eagle Pass. Eagle Pass and 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 uh, Abbott uh, took it over. Uh, in order to uh, uh, accomplish his policy it's goals. It's a municipal subdivision of the state yeah. of Texas. Yeah. And but fe- federal claimed. power doesn't doesn't turn on who owns the property. Doesn't. Doesn't. Does not. So yeah. this is something, Professor Bruce Miller, we're just going to have to come back and talk about again. It is it's such an important story. And we, we keep hearing, you know, these references to insurrection in so many different contexts. It should make us shake in our boots that we have to have a conversation about whether the federal government has jurisdiction over that which the federal government has jurisdiction. It is chilling, and I'm just so glad that we have a scholar like you to make sense of it. Thank you, Bruce Miller, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Buzz. Thanks, Dan. We'll be right back. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. 